Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Three themes in Mark that we have been looking at, we'll continue to look at a king, his kingdom, and the call to discipleship that this king calls us to. And that call is one that is constant and continual. Last week, we looked at this. Jesus approaches us, and his kingdom comes near in power. And this week, in these ten verses, we see this. Jesus knows and understands your needs. Jesus knows and understands your needs. Keep resting and relying on him. These are two words that I use all the time, a phrase that I use all the time, resting in and relying on him. This doesn't mean that we get to lay around and be lazy, and yet it does mean that our works, our efforts are held up by Jesus' person and work and his efforts on our behalf. Faith, in many ways, is an active thing. It plays out actively, like in sharing the good news with someone else. And then, if things go well or things go poorly, to actively lean back onto Jesus and to put it in his hands. But, in that way, it's not exactly active. It's passive, right? And we've seen so far that Jesus is continually doing things for us. He's coming to us. What we see here today and what we have seen thus far in chapter 1 is that Jesus is constantly relating himself to us. He's constantly relating himself to us. So let's start with verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. In my mind here, Jesus is painfully intentional about his prayer life. I don't know about you, but waking up before the sun rises, especially in winter, to go out somewhere away from snoring people or babies that are going to wake up in 10 minutes or whatever it may be, is painful. And yet, Jesus here sees a need in himself to be connected with his Father. Jesus has the same need that we all have here. He has the same need that we all have. Jesus is relating himself to us in that need. In describing what it is that Jesus is doing, he's rising, he departed, he went, he prayed. These are things that he's doing. When did he do it? Very early, while it was still dark, out in nowhere, okay? (laughs) Jesus is painfully intentional about his prayer. And he shows us that we need to pray. He shows us that, well, let's just admit it. 
if Jesus needs to pray and to build a relationship with his father, to keep a relationship with his father, to strengthen a relationship, then you and I need to pray as well. For Jesus to have been a part of the Trinity forever, one with and yet distinct from the Father and the Spirit and yet needing to be connected to them in this way now, even though we read last week that Jesus, even at the point that he is a man, is holding up the universe by the power of his hands, right? So we see here that that powerful person, that God-man Jesus, needs to pray. Now, we confess it often together with that confession, the Word made flesh, a confession about Christ, about Jesus taking on humanness, right? Well, that's one of the ways that God relates himself to us, by taking on humanness, being truly man and truly God. We also saw that Jesus relates himself to us by being baptized with John's baptism, which was one of repentance. Did Jesus have something to repent of? No, he didn't. But why would he do this? He did this to publicly show that he was relating himself to us. And in Jesus' prayer life to his disciples, he also publicly shows that he is relating himself to us. That we have a need and that he understands that need. And we also see here Jesus' resting and relying upon the good plan of his Father. Despite the fact that he would know and we know that in many ways it was a horrific plan. A plan that would cause him pain. And so he departed from people and went out and he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Now the words used here are literally like Peter is heading up a hunting party, okay? He's heading up a hunting party and they need to find Jesus. Why? Well, they have to seek him out. And then in verse 37, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. Now, we know Peter's personality, right? I don't want to dog on him. And we've learned before that this gospel, the gospel of Mark, is probably from Peter's perspective. So I don't think he's, uh, I don't think it's one of the other apostles being hard on Peter either. But what does he say? He's like, hey, Jesus, you've got power and you're popular and you claim that you're bringing a kingdom, we got to strike now. Yeah, the kingdom's coming. Let's make sure it keeps coming, right? This is Peter's attitude. This is when Jesus says he's going to get crucified, and Peter says, no, I will never let that happen. He's ready to take up arms and to fight with Jesus, to set up the kingdom here on earth. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Why? And we looked at this last week. This is one of the many things that Satan threw at Jesus during his temptation. To take the power you have and to use it. Everything that's promised to you, just, just have it. It's yours. But it's not time yet. 
And we see here still, or rather early on, Peter doesn't understand it either. In his thinking, Jesus has been blessed with something, and he's got to use it while he's got it. Peter says, everyone is looking for you. Don't you understand how important you are in this moment? And yet even in the fact that Jesus would take time alone and pray is showing us that he's not so concerned about this moment. He's concerned about this moment and every moment that is going to follow, every moment from there till eternity. And that's why he relates himself to us. That's why he shows us what prayer is, the fact that we should devote ourselves to it, because we need it. And as dire as this moment may seem that we must wake up and get to work and start moving, maybe there's something else that we should do instead of that, and that is to pray, to lean on God. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus pray in the afternoon and in the evening and in the early morning, right? This isn't a law to say pray as soon as you wake up or else, right? That's not what's happening here. However, during Jesus' day, um, usually the only thing that was going on at nighttime was trash collection and other not-so-good things, right? And so uh, the early morning was a good time to be away from masses of people. And we're going to see here at the end of this passage that there were masses of people. And maybe that's the same for you. Maybe people are asleep on your WhatsApp group and the morning is a good time. Or maybe you got to stay up later, or maybe you got to set aside time in the afternoon. It doesn't really matter when you do it, but Jesus is taking this morning time. Now notice, Jesus doesn't necessarily respond to Peter's, hey, strike while the iron is hot, Jesus. Instead, he kind of glances over it. He passes it by, and in verse 38, he says, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. We already learned in Mark's gospel, what is Jesus doing? He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. Repent, believe. A command to repent and believe. And so Peter says, well, let's, let's, let's go set up the kingdom. And what does Jesus say? You're right, we should keep going, and I'm going to do that through preaching. This is Jesus' mission as he sees it. It doesn't mean that these good things that he are doing, that he does, healing people, casting out demons, are wrong. They're good things, but they're not the primary thing that Jesus was doing. He says, this is why I came out. This is my job. This is what I am supposed to be doing. And in verse 39, And he went out through all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So he's on his mission. He's recentering his mission. He's saying, hey, look, I have one thing to do, and that is to preach the good news. And I'm going to do just that. And yet we also see here that he doesn't just preach the good news, because no matter where he goes, 
evil is there. And as we looked at last week in this very imprecise chart, right, um, we see a promise of evil being defeated in Genesis chapter 3. We see the continuation of that promise or the defeat realized at Jesus' temptation. He cast Satan aside. But then we also know of the final defeat in the book of Revelation as well. And so as Jesus goes out preaching, he does not leave evil untouched. He calls evil out. And he puts it aside. Showing that it has no authority. Showing that it is defeated. You know, as a church... um, We don't talk about this often here at Mountain View. Uh, Some may argue we need to talk about it more often. I don't know. Uh, We don't necessarily talk about our mission. We don't necessarily talk about our mission. And that's because our mission is actually one that is biblically defined for us. To go to all nations, making disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that has been commanded of them. This is our mission. And yet we have some different ways of talking about this mission. One of the ways that we do that is to say, here at Mountain View Hermanus, we desire to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to worship and as we scatter to share the good news about the person and work of Jesus. That's a fun way of saying it in my mind. It's an appropriate way for our congregation to think about it. But constantly, just as we see happening with Jesus and is going to continue happening with Jesus, there are going to be things that get in the way of that mission. And either we are going to get behind those things and follow down some other trail, rabbit trail, and eventually make our way back to the mission, or we're going to constantly be recentering ourselves on the mission that God has set before us. For us, that does mean multiplying. That means sharing Jesus with people. That means people getting saved. Does this mean our church growing? Maybe. Does this mean planting more churches? Yes, I hope so. I pray so. In many ways, I will see us as a bit of a failure if we don't do that. I don't think that's a wrong thing to think. I don't think that's wrong-headed or prideful. This is a goal that we have moving forward. But how does this happen? This happens through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. In verse 40, we see a man come to Jesus, and This man is desperate. We could look at a lot of Old Testament passages. We could look at Leviticus 13. We could look at Leviticus 5 and see just how desperate this man was in this day and age. Because not only was this man sick and not hanging out with anyone, he had no friends because he was diseased. Other people could catch his disease, but also in many ways he was separated from what everyone else thought of as proper worship of God. 
He was removed from the assembly of God's people. He's removed from the congregation because of his disease. So not only was there no hope for his life, it was eventually going to kill him, as it did everyone else that had it. But where was his soul at? And we see this come out of the man's mouth. And a leper came to him. So leprosy. Um, I always like to joke. I don't know if you knew this, but the Himla Arda Valley used to be a leper colony. Right? So keep that in mind. Okay. Anyway, le- <laughs> Lord, <laughs> leprosy, it, your skin, it starts falling apart. Places where you have soft tissue, your ears, your nose, ends of your fingers, gone. You'll lose whole fingers. It's bad. Okay? It's bad news. You will die eventually. You will be in great pain, and then you will die. So this man knew how desperate he was. And a leper came to him, imploring him, begging him, pleading with him. And kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. This man knew his need, he knew his desperation, but this leper also seemed to know exactly who Jesus was. Where was his soul? His soul was safe. His soul was safe in Jesus. And yet also, he did desire to be cleansed. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, that is Jesus, I will. Hold on, what? If you will, Jesus says, I will. The man says, you can make me clean, and Jesus says, you are clean. This wasn't just a declaration that the man was going to be healed. This was a declaration that your sickness did not separate you from God's people anymore. Your sickness that would lead to death did not separate you from God and his people. Your sickness, my sickness, our sin does not separate us from God anymore, and it does not separate us from God's people. We carry no shame entering into God's people like this man would have prior to meeting Jesus. We carry no shame at all. And immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away. Verse 42, Jesus meets needs. Jesus sees needs, and then he meets them. Christian, you and I both have needs. Uh, We know this going into every single day of our lives, right? We have needs of being liked by people. We have needs of having our stomach filled. We have needs of name it. Jesus meets needs. But it's more than Jesus simply meeting needs. And we'll come back to that in just a second. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And now this is the third time we're going to see this in Mark's gospel thus far. We're going to see it many more times. 
And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, look, your world has been changed, but no one's going to understand it yet. No one's going to understand what this healing actually means. Because I'm not just making your body right. Me making your body right is a sign of something bigger that I am doing in the world. See, this man had felt needs, we call them. These are needs that we know that we have. We feel them daily. They're needs that need to be met. And Jesus says, I'm going to meet your felt needs, but I'm pointing you to something greater, something deeper. I'm pointing you to a deeper need. See, when Jesus did miracles, he wasn't just pointing to a miracle and saying, look how amazing these hands are. Look at what my words can do. We already know what God can do through creation. God speaks, things happen. See, Jesus wasn't just pointing to his miracles. He was pointing to his message. And Jesus wasn't just pointing to his works. He was pointing to his words. He was meeting felt needs to reach people at a deeper level, to meet their deeper needs. To cleanse them, to make them whole. For this man, in his body, but not just in his body. To show that Jesus could make people whole, to remove their sin from them. to take them to God. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And in Leviticus 5, we see that if someone was magically healed of leprosy, which there was one person in the Old Testament who was not healed by a man, but was healed by God directly, then there was a specific sacrifice that was to be made in this case. But what did the man do? He didn't do that. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus would no longer openly enter a town, but would be out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every corner. So why would he tell this guy? Why would he... Remember we talked about it last week, the messianic secret. Jesus wants to keep a secret about who he is. Why would he do that? He would do that because just like Peter, and just like this man with leprosy, people couldn't grasp yet who Jesus really was. There was work that Jesus was going to keep doing. There were messages that Jesus was going to keep preaching. And there was a final work that Jesus was going to do on their behalf that they could not yet understand. In fact, I think that we could even argue from this passage that just as Peter comes out and says, hey, everyone's looking for you. Let's get this train rolling, Jesus. Just as Jesus says, I'm ready to go to arms with you right now. Just as Satan says, look at all of this. It could be yours. So this man says, can you believe this Jesus guy? He healed my body. Look at how great these miracles are. The man was missing the larger message. 
He was missing the larger message. We do this all the time, right? We treasure God's good gifts above God. In fact, we get so comfortable in God's good, good gifts that we forget about God. This is exactly what Jesus is trying to avoid. He's trying to make sure that the message gets out. But instead, the news spread, and he couldn't fulfill this part of his mission, at least the way that he originally wanted to, because the towns were becoming so crowded, waiting for him. So what did he do? He didn't just go out to pray in desolate places, but he went out to preach in desolate places, just like John the Baptist did, so that he could complete his mission, his mission, so that his miracles would not be the only thing that people knew him for, but that his miracles would point to his message. He would still continue to meet felt needs, but so that he could reach people in their deeper needs. He didn't want people to know him simply for his works. He wanted people to know him for his words and the work that he would eventually do on their behalf. In Leviticus 13, we see basically if you walk close to a leper, you're diseased. No one wants to be around you anymore. That's not exactly the way the diseased worked, but this is everyone to keep a safe distance. In fact, it would have been totally normal during this time and was, according to historical writings, that people would throw rocks at lepers to remind them, hey, stay away from here. You can't come this way. Not trying to be mean necessarily, but that is a cruel thing to do. But what did Jesus do? He reached out and he touched him. Look, you didn't touch a leper. You did not touch someone that was unclean according to the law unless you wanted to be unclean. In Jesus' case, he didn't touch someone that was unclean unless he wanted to make them clean. Or better stated, Jesus didn't touch someone it was unclean because he wanted to stay clean. We read, we know this passage well from Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed. For our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Matthew says that when Jesus touches people in this way, in quoting Isaiah, he says that Jesus is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our sicknesses, Matthew 8, 17. Jesus reached out and touched a man that was sick and that was unclean to take his uncleanness. And this is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross. Here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together. But we need to remember that in our sickness, 
and our pain and our sorrow, God did not leave us to ourselves. God does not respond to our rebellion with disgust or throwing up his hands or throwing rocks at us from a distance, telling us to stay away. Instead, he pursues us in love. He reaches his hand out in love and touches us. Not simply sharing in our uncleanness, but making us clean and taking our uncleanness on himself. Jesus did that for you. We studied together 1 Peter a long time ago now. And we read this in 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus identified with us. He took our sin upon himself. And Jesus would not have reached out his hand to the leper unless he intended to take his uncleanness upon him. Jesus would not have reached out to you and called you to himself unless he wanted to take your sin upon him. Christian, for those that do not yet know Jesus, you're sitting here today because Christ has called you to himself. And as we've studied here in Mark, we are called to repent. That is to turn away from our sin. To turn away from ourselves and turn to God. St. Augustine, a very old dead guy, said that our souls are restless until we find our rest in him. And that is true. If you know that Christ has died for you, that he took your sin upon him and that he has risen from the dead, you can find your rest in him and rely on him. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.